Welcome to this week's episode of Pals Pod of New Orleans dot network podcast. As always, I am your host, Rafael Radler, joined by my fellow middle brothers, Gary G. Radler. What's probably with you, bro? What up, what up, bro? Fresh out of this crazy week that we both had, man. It was uh appreciate everybody, you know, holding us down during the week. It was crazy how we both had this just wild work week uh and personal life week that just you know kept us away for 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 a bit so um it's good to be back man it's good to see your face good to get on the on the pod and talk about these pals man it's it's time is of the essence man this is it's you know we, we everybody's starting this point at the time like game scoring <laughs> or something so time is of the essence man so how, how's everything going on on your end everything is good on our end Derek Carr hey shout out Derek, Derek Carr, Carr now let's say Derek yeah, Carr man you know, we'll see. We'll That's see. Uh, <laughs> with that being said, before we get to it to the Pels world, because they have plenty to talk about on that, and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Pels Pod, follow us on IG at Pels Podcast, like the episode below, and most importantly, subscribe to New Orleans Network. So, there's been a couple of injuries <laughs> since the last yeah. time we talked. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jose is out with like a fractured tibia, and Larry Nance tweaked his ankle. Thank God it wasn't a high ankle sprain, but he's out. Zion still no time time table on his return, but you know he's posting on IG, uh, so some some notorious Big lyrics, kind of mm-hmm. giving some hints that he might be closer than not to return. And so injuries have not been fun to the Pelicans, but. In their absence, what you have seen is some lottery picks from the Pelicans past get a little bit of a look. And so we'll we'll dive into that in just a bit. But my question to you after the tough stretch that the Pelicans are one and six, what their last seven, it's not great. With 18 great. games left, the Pelicans are currently in the the ninth spot. Excuse me. Utah lost last night. It's gonna change every single night, every, every time single a team day. wins or lose. Yep. They're two games in the loss columns of four. But they're also not very far <laughs> away from not being in the play-in at all. Yes. So my first question to you is, do you think they make at least the play-in? The second question to you is, can they do enough and hold on enough to avoid the play-in altogether in terms of making the playoffs outright being a top six seed of some kind. I'll let you go. This, this, you know, we, we talked about, you know, coming into the season about the uniqueness of the Pelicans, right. From the front office to, you know, the roster construction to, you know, being in a situation where you have like, you know, um, um, veterans who are like trying to win, but also like young players, 
having all the draft picks with stars on the like it's just a lot of uniqueness with the Pelicans. And this has been a really, really unique season because if you told me the Pelicans played most of the season without Zion and most of the season without Brandon Ingram and in and out of the lineups, these guys and that guy, I'd be like, well, the Pelicans are probably, you know, not in contention for anything, in right? In the Victor Wambayamba like, race. Right, right. Like, they are heavily in the Victor Wambayamba sweepstakes. And, but, like, with the Western Conference the way that it is, it's like, you know, these guys are ev- – the, everything that the Pelicans want to do at the beginning of the season is still in front of them, all the way down to being able to host a playoff series. Um, and so, you know, the goals are in front of them because of how crazy – the Western Conference has been. And so if you ask me, you know, I, I think obviously I, I think the Pelicans make the play in. I do think that they are a good enough team. Um, I know like they lose a lot, of, but it seems like they win that game whenever they need to, to kind of keep themselves afloat. Um, and then you hear about like LeBron's injuries, all the play teams that's around um, the Pelicans, you know, it, it, you just, you, you, you've got to feel like they'll be able to get, uh, you know, get the wins when they need to and stay in the play-in tournament at least. So I do think they make the play-in tournament. Now, will they be able to win enough games to miss the playoffs altogether? I don't think so. I, I, I don't know if that's going to be a, a situation I, because Zion's, Zion's injury, it's going to take a while for him to get back into the Zion that everybody knows, the Zion you saw before he gets gets hurt. And, you know, with the, the Western Conference, well, well let, let, let me say this. It, it depends on how many it's more tough. games you do. It's tough. Right. Yeah. If, if, if you're saying he comes back with 10 games remaining, then maybe. But if you're looking at like eight to seven, you know, I just think that the Pelicans will be, you know, who they are, who they've shown us to be. Um, you know, up until this time without Zion. And so, you know, I, I do think they'll get in the play-in tournament. Now, I think that they'll be a, a favorite in the playing game if, if and when they do get there. Because if you're talking about Zion getting back, you know, Zion for one game can beat any team, any player. Uh, the Pelicans have a shot against any team with Zion in one game. Um, and so I do think that they would be the favorite. Uh, I just think that with Zion's injury and, you know, just the amount of, time is going to take for him to get back into, you know, the Zion that everybody uh, knows and remembers. Like, he'll still be good. He'll still be really good. Um, but the Zion, the point Zion, like the, the sharpness, the the things like that, you got to remember these guys haven't played at all this season together. Um, you know, the, the the three, right? The big three or the big four, Z, um, you know, when you think about Z and the Alphabet Boys. So I just think that, you know, it, it's going to take some time for them to kind of gel in, um, and they might find a hiccup or two on the way there. Um, in those games, but you know, look, they got a, a, a really good schedule ahead of them. Uh, so we'll see, you know, we'll see, but you got to get the big fella back. So let me hedge my bet. Can I say that <laughs> if they play like they played versus Portland and then like the first quarter and a half of how they played versus Golden State, I think they can still. Avoid the play. I'm gonna I'm I'm call. I'm a. I'm gonna call FanDuel and see if you can kind of make that specific. So I can't of make a that bet. Bad. <laughs> because if they play that way, I think they got a good shot to win a lot of the games upcoming on this schedule. They have a very favorable schedule for the hell that they went through in January, and it seems like the hell that they went through after the break because they've only played one home game. They've Crazy, got a man. pretty favorable stretch, including the. the- I feel like the Pels been in the West Coast more than like NWA, bro. It is crazy. 
Like, like they've got four of the last like five games at home, right? So like literally you could build momentum. Like if Zion is back, you could build momentum heading into the thing. And because of the West and like how it's shaped up, I don't want to say that they can't make it because like you look at every other game, like what did we just watch? We just watched Phoenix versus Dallas. And then the Lakers versus the Warriors. So like people are just beating each other up and everyone's mm-hmm. standing like we we look at the the Pels, you know, especially the last like 20 games. You're like, hmm, that's really tough. And then you look at the standings, you're like, how are they just two games behind all these other teams? Like, what are these other teams doing that they're not pulling away from the Pelicans? And so it's one of those things, it's like, don't let them can't hang around, right? Don't let them mm-hmm. be close enough and then the big fella come back. And to your point. Yes, when when Zion comes back, he's not going to be like he was toward the end versus the Sixers the first time where he's just unstoppable no matter who you got against him. It might take him a little bit, similar to Brandon Ingram, to get a little rust off. But the difference between Brandon Ingram and Zion shaking a little rust off is pretty significant for on twofold. Zion doesn't have to be 100% to shoot like 50% from the field. And that's like a bad <laughs> game for him, right? He could be 80%. Like you saw it at the beginning of the season. You're like, oh, that's not Zion. But it's still like 25, 8 on 50% mm-hmm. shooting. The second fold is like, now Brandon Ingram is in the lineup again. So it's not just Zion playing by himself. Mm-hmm. And so it won't be Zion. We need you to score 35 every night. It's more so Zion, work your way back. Still be your dominant self. You know they're going to be burst. Work your way to the point where now everything's a little bit easier for everybody else because the offense looks hard. Everything looks difficult. B.I. is shooting contested fadeaway shots in order to get to his 40 every night. He's being hounded. And I feel as if you and I talked about this off the pod. I feel as if the team is playing how they should play when you've got a CJ, a Brandon Ingram, and a Zion Williamson. When in reality, mm-hmm. they need to play how they played last year for the play-in, for the playoffs, and all those things. Everyone has to do their roles. You've got to pick your spots, your matchups to take advantage of, and that's how you get your offense versus, hey, if I don't have a wide-open shot, I'm not even looking to dribble toward the goals. I'm just going to pass it back to B.I. Like, you've got to find <laughs> your advantage. You've got to find your time to be assertive. Like there were times where early in the season, we talked about how Najee was getting to the rim. Najee was able to facilitate and do those things. Well, it seems like when Brent Ingram got back, it was like Najee got less aggressive. And it's not a situation where, yeah, you need Najee taking a whole bunch of shots, but his pure, dare I say, gravity and his ability to get to the rim, get to the foul line, creates for other people. So when you take that away, it becomes Brandon Ingram and a bunch of people standing around the three-point line. And that's not conducive to good offense. And so I think it's right there. I think the West is just a hodgepodge WWE Royal Rumble for the rest of the way. And so I think they're going to be close right here until Zion gets back anyway. And so for that, I'm going to say they still got a chance to avoid it altogether. Portland's missing Simmons. OKC just got Shea back, but like, are they really fighting to get back? Or are they just saying like, okay, let's see how it plays out. Let's grow our young player. LeBron is out. So, like, a lot of things. Utah is quickly falling down the ropes where they should belong, where they should be and where they belong. (laughs) Like, things are there for the taking. You just have to seize them, right? And so, in order to do that, you and I talked about it a couple pods ago. 
Everyone looks at the offense and said, man, the offense is so difficult. We just talked about it. It's so hard to score. They can barely get to 100 points. But, like, you have to realize that the way that this team is constructed, I get it. This is an offensive league. People are trying to hear to put up points. But the way this, this team is constructed, the only way that they're going to win games and to put up enough points is by being elite on the defensive end. Because all these guys that you built around Zion, you built around Brandon Ingram, the thing that they do best is defense. And so what happens, again, if you've got a quarterback in football who can't really throw the ball? What do you rely on? Your running game and your defense. If you can't really score the ball in basketball, you got to rely on your defense working at an elite level. It can't be middle of the pack like right now. Last 10 games, they're 25th in fouls, 19 in rebound, 16 in points, a lot, 27th in second chance. You can't play like that because you don't have that type of room for error on the offensive end. You got to be opportunistic on the defensive end that's creating for your offense. And like everyone wants to turn to like the, the uh the live ball turnovers and that's hurting the defense but like all in all they just haven't been as good defensively as they were early in the season and so when you look at you know what Larry Nance said in Chris Connor space is like we our identity is defense we want to make it so that every game is so hard to play against us they haven't really been doing that right and so mm-hmm. in your perspective if is is it more of the defense or is it more of the offense that needs to take a turn in order for the Pelicans to ultimately achieve what they want to achieve so, and, and you make you make a bunch of good points, but I, I think that, so I think it's a twofold answer because okay. yes, the defense needs to get better. Um, the defense is, you know, is, is struggling at times, but I think part of it is, it's because the offense is struggling so much. And what I mean by that, number one, if a lot of your offensive, you know, a lot of your offensive possession end up in long rebounds, right? We talk about Brandon Ingram taking fadeaway three uh, jumpers and, you know, CJ getting up shots up three pointers um, and guys like shooting threes, settling for threes. Um, and they're not going in those lead out to long rebounds. Right. And you're already at a defensive disadvantage when you have guys down. But once the, you allow the rebound to, you know, out basically out kick your coverage and now you have, you know, a fast break going, it's going to be hard to stop teams in the NBA like that on two on one fast breaks three on two fast breaks over and over again. And when you are making shots, right, when you are able to, you know, at least set your defense up and give yourself a chance, um, then you, you're able to kind of get guys into positions um, and kind of communicate and see some of the better defensive things that we see. And so I think they work hand in hand. And when you think about the defensive end and the guys that are out there, they, I, I think that the, 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 the way that the offense is struggling is starting to weigh on guys because they all feel the weight of the world to, all right, this shot has to go in. Like, this shot has to go in because, like, this is a precious offensive possession that doesn't go to B.I. B.I. has had to pass me the ball. C.J. has had to pass me the ball. I need to make this shot. I need to cut. I need to make. And it's weighing on guys. And so, when you get to the defensive end, that that mental sharpness isn't there. That that attention to details isn't there. We're seeing some of like the Pelicans' best defenders like just get caught slipping backdoor cuts. Najee, if anything, has been you know a defensive stalwart even when his offensive numbers weren't there. And, and it's too many times you see Najee getting caught on backdoor cuts, getting beat off the dribble, and it's like this is Najee, right? This is the knife. Like you're, this is what you're <laughs> supposed to do. 
And I think part it's just a lot of having to have the offensive responsibilities, you know, when Zion is out. When you talk about Zion and you talk about 28 points, 25 points a game, it's not just 28, 25 points a game. It's, you know, the way those points are generated, the amount of offensive attention that goes to uh, defensive attention that goes to Zion uh, when he's on the offensive end. And it's not just, okay, who can put 28 points on the board? You have to create all of that offensive gravity or at least play through the fact that it's not there. And I think that the guys are just, they've gone through that for an entire season. And it's just difficult to, you know, to kind of play that balance between, trying to be uh you know good defensively but also having the weight of your world on the offense uh on your shoulders as well and so i you know it, it, i think it's a twofold but but to your point you 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 really can't fix the offense with it you know this late um you know guys aren't just going to automatically start hitting shots out the blue and things like that so what i think you can do is pay more attention to the defensive end be be more aggressive on the defensive end be more opportunistic on the defensive end Pay attention to those details. Get the stops and play an offense where guys like you know Jackson and Kyra and guys who are now getting shots to play and Dyson can get into the open fit, uh, court and you can have these young players help you on the offense and defensive in, in ways like that. Right. It's it's one of those things where we talk about defense leading the offense, but like for this team, like it 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 really does like this is the team that yeah. needs to get out you're a young team i think that's the other side of it right like there's so many experienced vets where like you know what they do like you know pj tugger may not score five points but you know he's gonna play 34 minutes like you know this is your role whereas this is a roster full of like really young players like to be in the conversation with the Dallas's and the Suns and all those things and most of your roster be like 23 and 24 in year two year three year five like stuff like that guys aren't fully established in who I am and so when guys are down like a Zion like a Brandon Ingram like a CJ it's like okay tonight I'm gonna be this guy but then tomorrow when they come back who am I then like and, and for young players I think they struggle with that type of thing and so You've seen Willie Green lead on veteran leadership. You've seen him lean on on veterans altogether. And so Josh Richardson is away from the team right now. But one of the moves that Willie Green made last week was he brought Josh Richardson into the starting lineup. At first, I'm like, all right. Like, I I see Trey struggling on on the defensive side. Um, At the time, Josh Richardson was out shooting Trey from the three-point line since joining the team. And so if you don't think you're giving up that much from the three-point line and you're getting a a player who has more know-how, so to speak, is what Willie Green would call it, sure. Okay, I see it. But, like, from your perspective, did you like the Josh Richardson move? Did you not? It's kind of mute at this point with Josh Richardson not being with the team right now. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I didn't like it, bro. I, I actually did not like it. So Trey Murphy is uh he he does have some some issues on the defensive end. Again, I think it's a you know lapse of judgment, you know, lapsing of, of decision making on the defensive end. Where he just gets you know caught flat-footed, he could get caught sleeping, things like that. Um, but I think that the Trey Murphy's ability to catch fire, especially with Zion out right now, is really pivotal to the team 
Um, and I think that his defensive, his defensive, you know, struggles or defensive fallacy, I think that he can work through those and, you know, get better with those. We saw, you know, last season when, you know, this happened and Willie, it took a time for Willie to, to let him play um, and get into his rhythm. Uh, and, you know, as a starter or even as a, as a player off the bench, not even a starter, but uh, Willie wouldn't even play him until he got right defensively. And it, it seems as though, you know, he's kind of loosened the, the reins a bit, partially because he has to, right? He's just down to a certain amount of players. Else. You have yeah. to play. Yeah, you have to play players. But I do think, you know, Trey did buy a little bit of, you know, of, of Willie Green's grace uh, last season, you know, especially in the crunch, uh, crunch time. Uh, in the playoffs. Um, but I do, I just think that his ability to knock down shots and spread the floor. And like I call him one of the most ignitable uh, players on the team. I think that he needs to be, be utilized more um, even in the starting lineup with Brandon Ingram. Trey, I think Trey Murphy's game is better with stars around him with better with gravity uh, on the floor with him because it's so hard to, to help off of him. Uh, and it helps, you know, Brandon Ingram, CJ, and it also helps Trey Murphy get open shots if you do uh, go double team on those guys. And when you put him in in the second unit and kind of make him, you know, the six man, right? The like the you know the traditional six man that everybody knows, where you plug him in and just you know go score. Well, Trey Murphy isn't really in that stage of his development where he could just go get buckets by himself without setting you know without setting uh you know things up. Uh, having something set up for him. And so I do, I just think that his game is more, you know, more conducive to being in a starter. And I think Josh Richardson is a guy that can do what he does, no matter when you bring him in, right? Whenever you bring him in, he's going to play that defense. I think that he's a guy who's been in the league long enough that he could get his shot going coming off the bench where he doesn't need a lot of, you know, looks and, and attempts. And he's comfortable in the mid range, which is in the same exact spot where Brandon Ingram and CJ, you know, want to be. And I, I just think that, you know, Josh Richardson being a guy that you, you know, sub in similar to a Josh Hart role, um, you know, very similar to that role, bring him in, let him be the grit, the grind, maybe play some extended minutes in the fall where you need him over Trey. But I just think that Trey's game is better when you have gravity around him um, and you you make defenders make decisions as um, on Trey Murphy and Brandon Ingram and CJ and guys like that. Right. I, I agree with you. Um, I think that Trey's got to play, right? Like, you might not play Josh Richardson in a playoff game or playoff series, but you're going to play Trey Murphy. And so, to your point, I think the threat of Trey almost is more than his production at times because of how it spaces the floor. The other wrinkle that we saw recently uh, was Herb at the five. That's something you and I have been talking about for a long time uh, in terms of how to incorporate Herb. I know that everyone's down on the fact that he's left to these open threes and should he shoot them, should he not, things like that. But there's so many plays that Herb makes throughout the course of a game that you can't take a guy like that off of the court. Like maybe you take the ball out of his hands, so what you saw, him become a screener, him become a diver, him bring the ball up the court, things like that. But like all in all, what does Herbert the Five do for the team? Because with Zion, without Zion, you're going to have – we talked about it. Larry Nance is already banged up. There's going to be series, if you get there, where JV's not going to be able to be there. So you're going to have to have other options other than JV that you trust. So whether it be Zion, whether it be Herb and stuff like that, but what have you seen from the look so far? Yeah, I think I think getting Herb comfortable as a as a small ball five like right now is is good for you know this season and moving forward uh, for whatever you know uh, however long Herb is on the team and with the team because 
like you said, the the playoffs is a lot of you know your stars, and when you talk about big men, you know it's it's not you know if your big man isn't a star, a lot of times people go to small ball fives or you know small you know not even centers at fives, right? They just put forwards out there uh, like the Clippers, and you know we we've seen you know other teams do it. Uh, Philadelphia is incorporated now by playing PJ at the five um, when Joel and B sits down. Just Different things you want to be able to have different guys in. Listen, Herb's defensive chops are, you know, are universal, right? They're universal up and down on uh, the floor. What I mean by that is, you know, we the, when you talk about the Pelicans and some of the bigs that's on the floor, whether it be JV, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, Larry Nance, who, you know, we know those are probably the two guys that, that Willie Greenfield's most comfortable playing. Um, neither one of those is really a, a rim protector, right? Neither one of those guys. Now, Larry obviously is athletic and will go for blocks and things like that and is able to, but he's not, he's a power forward, right? He's not that tall. I um, mean, sometimes he gets jumped over and out leaked. And, um, and so you don't really have in the playoffs. Correct. Exactly. Right. So you don't really have, you know, shot blocking uh, to be taking away from off the floor as it is, but what Herb can do is, prevent the, the guy from even getting to the rim, right? He can prevent the guy from even getting at the rim uh, and he can, you know, turn the guy into help defense um, and things like that. And I think, you know, Herb and his shot has been, a, 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 I guess, a problem this season, right? So uh, an adventure this season. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, he, he has enough basketball IQ that if you play him at the five, um, that, you know, some of these back cuts you starting to see him do again, um, some of these space filling moves that we always talk about, um, you know, him being one of the best space fillers on a team. I think him at the five offensively is enough basketball IQ to know that you, you are the release valve, but you don't have to have the three point shot every time. And so, you know, you saw some of it against Portland where, you know, he and Dyson ended up like double teaming Dame. And the guy wasn't on the on. You couldn't even see Dame on the on the screen anymore uh, because those two guys are so uh, long and you know kind of eclipsed him off the screen. And so there is a lot you know to be left uh, you know to uh, unlock with Herb at the five. Um, you see Golden State use Draymond very similarly uh, to how I think Willie Green should use um, you know uh, uh, Herb. You know set setting screens for CJ, uh, setting screens for for Bi. Uh, if you want to play with him off, a lot of dribble handoff fix, uh, fixes that uh, because the, the guys are such good shooters, especially in the mid-range area. So there's a lot of things offensively that you can do um, with, with Herb. And I think playing him at the five, both offensively and defensively, uh, benefits the team now and moving forward uh, because you want to have as many of uh, roster flexibilities as you can. And I think Herb's basketball IQ and his defensive chops make him good enough to be, uh, you know, a short-term uh, small ball five lineup. I'll say this. I like the lineup because of the versatility that it gives you. And I think there's a lot of different ways. Like we talked about before the season, like there are some lineups that the Pelicans could throw out there where everybody is six, eight and mm. everybody is or six, seven and everybody is switching. And it could look like poetry in motion, right? On offense. But here's the problem. We just talked about the Pelicans being a young team and how sometimes like they can't do simple things like making entry passes and making <laughs> lobs and stuff like that. But the only the other thing that they don't do that's like simple things is like rebound. So if you're gonna play small ball, everybody on the court has to be a rebounder. It can't be hey yo JV got the rebound or yo Larry got the rebound. Everybody has to fight the same way Josh Hart fights for rebounds at six five. 
everybody has to do that every possession because that's how you end possessions defensively when you go small. And so what you saw last time, you saw it work versus Portland. What you saw versus the Warriors were like, okay, well, if y'all not going to rebound, we're just going to put it up there, <laughs> get the rebound and put it back because you have no big man underneath the basket because you have no rim protector, right? And so it's the small things that if you want to insert little wrinkles, you got to be good at the small things as well, which can be tough on a consistent level when you have such a young roster. So we talk about the young roster and we talk about, you know, the injuries to all these different guys, including Jose and things like that. But what that's allowed is some looks at some lottery picks that a lot of people have been calling for all season. Um, You draft guys high, you expect them to play, but because of what the Pelicans are trying to build and trying to build it the right way, um, it can be tough, right? Like people want to see the young talent. People want to see, I see the people in the chat talking about like, this is going to help the team long-term in terms of waiting for trade to mature and things like that. I agree with all of those things. The problem is there are times within the games where I get it. If you trust in a vet and you are trusting what someone else can bring, I get it. But there's times where there's an obvious need for, offense in the sense of Kyra or there's an obvious need of someone who can protect the rim in the sense of Jackson or there's an obvious name to someone who can push the temple like a Dyson Daniels and so those are opportunities where you just gotta play those guys it's not asking you to play a 20 30 minutes or anything like that but you gotta give it a shot if you're on a uh older eight run or older 10 run and you have no offensive side because brandon ingram's not on the court or whatever it would be that's a great time to give a look to someone else right because it's not gonna hurt you at the end of the day like these guys need to gain experience as well and so i want to break these three guys down individually so jacks at times again the portland game he was outstanding like he was everywhere defensively like he caught uh simmons on a backboard uh on on a layup and things like that but then you also see the behind the back Jackson, like he's in the red, <laughs> uh, hitting the square, square button. And then you see like when he does it and then like doesn't want to shoot it and get pulled out, but then gets a turnover or throws the ball eight feet above Trey, uh, Trey's head and stuff <laughs> like that. So like you see the good and you see the bad, but like all in all, what have your, what have your thoughts been on Jackson since Larry went down and since Willie's really giving him a shot to get some real minutes? I think Jackson has been good. I, I think Jackson has been good. Um, he has brought a lot of – so a lot of things on a basketball court you see and you just see it looks different when different players are in the game, right? You see if how how the team moves, how the how the ball moves, like the camera just like is going up and down because like it's people running, right? And there was a play against Portland – that I think like truly encapsulates the difference between having like Jackson um, on the floor and having like Jonas Valanciunas on the floor. Uh, So it was like in the second quarter and Brandon Ingram comes down and like, you know, they were bringing the ball down off a missed shot and like Jackson is sprinting down the court. And so like Brandon Ingram's guy is down court and he's picking him up and like Jackson ran past the screen and I heard a whistle. So my first thought was, oh, it's an offensive foul because that's all the Pelicans bids get when they run down the court and set a quick screen. And it wasn't. It was a foul. Uh, Jackson got fouled because he was running so hard. The only way to stop him was to, like, hold him. And I'm like, wow, like, that's that's something new. That's something different. I don't usually – you don't usually see that. But it's things like that, right, speeding the game up, getting up and down the floor, and you see 
Jackson getting up and down the floor, leading, you know, leading fast breaks, meaning like he's ahead of the fast break because he's so athletic. Um, now, of course, you're going to have the full Jackson Hayes experience, right? But <laughs> the thing is that you know that already. and You know that going into the game. And listen, some of the things that he does is inexcusable. And, you know, Willie should pull him to the side um, and, you know, and, and have those conversations with him and, you know, whatever the development is in that course. But there are things that Jackson does on the floor that no big on the Pelicans team can do. Nobody on the Pelicans team Ask can Jonathan do. Um, yes, exactly. Right. That, <laughs> that, that was surely a meeting at the summit. Um, but I just think that Jackson, what Jackson brings, uh, you can't take that off the floor, especially with Larry not playing. And so, you know, I think some of these minutes that he, he's getting, um, and you know, some of these things that he's doing, although there's, you got the bonehead plays thrown in, I think he is winning, winning over Willie a little bit. Um, at, at least a little bit. I'm not saying they use him in the playoffs, but I think he's winning over a, a little bit enough to give him more opportunities to prove himself even more. Yeah. I, I think everyone looks at like the lobs and, you know, the crazy dunker spot dunks from, from Jackson and stuff like that, which, again, those are exciting. That gets the momentum going. And so you don't want to take away from those type of plays. But, like, the thing that I love watching about Jackson is, like, for him not to know, like, a whole lot of, like, just basketball IQ plays, man, that guy is really good on defense. Like, he's really good. Like, there were times where Jalen Brunson tried to ISO him. Dame tried to ISO him. Uh, Simon's try to ice like guys who are known for breaking guys off the dribble and Jackson forced either a turnover or a miss shot every single time. That is rare for a seven footer, man. And so like, if he could just figure it out, like he could be such a good piece for this Pelicans team. It's just, I mean, I mean, I mean, Rev, not to cut you off, but I mean, when you think about what the Pelicans need right now, right? You think about rim protection, mobility of a big, right? You, you're stretching Larry Nance to his maximum. Rim protection, a mobile big, like the guy is on the roster. He's there. It's just, you know, the, 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 the things that come with him on the floor when he gets, you know, a little too excited. And like I said, you know, a couple of years back, he, he plays sometimes like he's trying to go viral and you can't have that with a team that is all pulling in one direction. And I think Jackson knows that. I just think that he believes a lot in his ability and his skill set that he could do some of the things that you see him try to do. I just don't think he knows that, you know, NBA defenders are are as quick as he is and as athletic as he is. Uh, but he, he is exactly, you know, when you think about some of the things the Pelicans need in their front court mishaps, it is availability. It is... Yeah you know, verticality at the rim. It is mobility. You're moving your feet and it is rim protection. And Jackson Hayes is literally, you know, all of that. Bro, I saw a couple of pick and rolls, not just the lob from B.I. to Jax, but like it been so long since I saw a pick and roll either from C.J. or B.I. and you see a guy dive to the rim because for all of the talent that JV has, he's just not very quick. He's just not very fast. So rarely <laughs> do you see him dive into the goal like that where he's wide open for an obvious pass. We're like, get him the ball. Now he'll be posted up and they can't get him the ball. So maybe that's the issue in itself. But altogether, it's just different looks that you get from an athletic big. And so talk about different looks. Man, listen, Dyson Daniels coming off the ankle injuries. I understand he's young, trying to figure out his body, stuff like that. But, like, every time he gets in the game, like, that was a possession versus Portland 
where Dyson was like smothering the dude and he was not fouling at all. And I'm like, that's like 10 year veteran type defense. And then there's plays where he's able to accelerate the pace and get them going in transition and things like that. And I understand that like, there's a fine nine number of minutes. Like if you want to play Dyson and you want to play Cairo, well, who's not playing, right? Is it Najee? Is CJ taking less minutes? Like what, what is happening to, to make someone else be more available and things like that. But like a guy like Dyson, I feel like he's the type of guy that can guard up. Like he could guard a, a smaller guard where Herb kind of struggles versus the quick jerky players. And he he's, he does better versus the long athletes like Shea and things like that. Whereas Dyson, like he's given Lucas some fits at times, like a bigger, a bigger body guys. And I think, you can play him that way defensively as well. So, like, what are your thoughts on Dyson trying to crack the rotation? At this point, everyone's looking for, hopefully, some type of rotation to potentially play in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, you know, Dyson is the impact, Daniels. I mean, what when you when you put him in the game, you immediately see things happen, right? Good things happen. And, um, you know, to, to go back to that Portland game, there was a possession where, uh, in the fourth, uh, in the third quarter, where Dame came off the ball and Dyson just did not let him get the ball back. He just ball Dame back. could not get the ball back, and I'm and I'm saying that is that is the kind of defensive intensity that number one like wins games. Like you know, those are the type of if you're gonna run with Dame and prevent him from getting the ball, even if it's not for the whole possession, but you waste six, seven, eight seconds because um, Dame has to fight over you because you're ginormous. Um, and have defensive abilities, uh, that is that is valuable stuff. And then not only does it do that, but it's infectious, right? It gets the ball in transition. Um, it, it, it turns ball teams over. It gets shot clock violation. It gets, like, the defensive morale up. Um, and it gets everybody else excited and gets everybody else locked in. You see, you know, when he pushes up on people, now the next person wants to, to de- you know, deny the ball. And the next person wants to deny the ball. And then you're down to five, four seconds on the clock. And a bad shot. So Dyson Daniels can do those things. And then offensively, we we call, you know, he was drafted to be a connector, right? He was he was drafted to be able to get, you know, that that pass, that pass off the rebound to the middle of the court into a pocket pass in the corner for a three or to hit Zion, uh, you know, at the rim and things like that. And so he was already coming in, you know, he, he at the beginning of the season, he called himself a point guard, right? He said, I want to learn from point guards, like, but because we play the same position. And so, you know, you hit, that's his mindset. And so when you have a guy that's, that's doing all that, and he's also six, seven, um, you know, that, that is the kind of guy that has to be able to get on, on the floor. And, you know, we, we see, we, we talk about this so much where, you know, this, this, you know, the Pels bench, the, you know, the second line, none of those guys are separated so much where one guy has to stay on the floor, right? If Najee isn't playing well, Throw Dyson Daniels out there, right? It, it can't be that big of a difference where Dyson can't even see the floor at all, right? Or same thing with Josh Richardson, right? Josh Richardson is a veteran, um, you know, at least a young veteran, been around the league. But if he's not playing well, like Dyson Daniels can do some of those things that Josh Richardson uh, does, uh, you know, as well. And sometimes even better on the offensive end when you talk about connecting and moving the ball and, and things like that. And so Dyson Daniels has shown, you know, I, I, I would think enough, to warrant some of those minutes. And, you know, even when people get back, 
Uh, we talk about, you You know, just made a point about, you know, somebody has to not play any minutes and things. I think Dyson Daniels is a is a playoff player, right? Like he's a mm -hmm. guy that you want to have. Um, he may not be ready, like, to contribute in the playoffs as a, you know, as a, a in his rookie season now. But I mean, like, he's a guy that when, when the, when the, you know, the games get tough and the games get tight, you want, you want to talk about know-how, right? This is a guy with a lot of basketball IQ, a lot of defensive abilities and a lot of offensive abilities as well that complement some of the guys that you're going to have on the floor um, at the end of games. So uh, I think Dyson Daniels has played uh, really well. Obviously the shot isn't there, um, but he's, he's comfortable taking it, right? He's not like shying away from not taking it. Um, he's just not very good at making them um, <laughs> at, at this point in his career. So I just think that he's a guy that needs to get as many reps and minutes as possible. Um, when you think about this roster. Right. So you talk about someone who struggles to shoot. Now you have to talk about a guy who's not, who's shooting 52% from the three-point line this season. Now, I'll bet on a very small volume, but still, <laughs> it's almost like Kyrie got injured was like, you know what? I can't run right now, and I'm used to just running around like the uh, road runner. So I'm just going <laughs> to sit in the gym and shoot threes all summer long because he's shooting the ball with such confidence, like off the dribble, catch and shoot. He's letting it fly. And what did we talk about before Kyrie got injured? Trying to figure out how to mix up your speed in order to uh, in order to be dangerous. Getting stronger in your legs so your three-pointers can go down. Well, now they're starting to go down. You and I talked about this. Like, everybody loves Jose. We've talked about how far Jose has come in such a short amount of time. But Jose and Kyra are like the inverse of one another. There are times where if you've got a guard that coming off the bench and you know you need to make it difficult, that's when you play Jose. I also think when you're struggling to score and you need a jolt because Zion is not available, you got to play Kyron. So unfortunately, Jose gets hurt, but that's exactly how Jose got his opportunity last year. It's crazy how the world works out. Kyra gets hurt, Jose inserts himself. Now Jose gets hurt, Kyra's inserting himself. And so from what you've seen from Kyle or both off ball and I'd like to see him in some pick and roll situations. Like he's been doing a lot of catch and shooting. I'd like to see him going downhill, attacking the rim and create for other people. Do you think Kyra is carving out a role for himself down the stretch? A lot of, a lot of multiverse of madness variance <laughs> talk going on in that, in that example. But yeah, man, I, I agree. Like I, I've told you, we've talked about this, about, you know, Jose being uh Kyra being the offensive version of of Jose where you know you need that spark plug to come in and score the ball like that's Kyra Lewis and you know when you talk about you know having a guard off the bench that you need to make it hell for I mean Kyra, Kyra is no slouch on the defensive end either sure. you know he's been you know being picking up guys full court and uh you know and we know about his you know in the what you call pick six plays and you know and things like that but Going back to like what I said about Jackson, when you when you put Kyra in, you see things differently, right? You see things a little things look different on the floor. Guys are running up and down the floor. Um, they're 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 spaced out. And and Kyra, one of the things between Kyra and Jose, and I'm not sure this is like a schematic thing or it's like a I, I I'm just not sure. But when Jose brings the ball up, and, and it's kind of similar to what your your point was um earlier in the in the show when when you say like they're playing a certain way right like jose brings the ball up and it's almost like he's trying to find somebody to get mm -hmm. you know to get the ball to right as a as a point guard should um but kyra doesn't look like he's doing that right like kyra looks like he's like coming in the game to score 
to like come off the screens and, and things like that. And then he lets the playmaker kind of play off of that. Like he he turns the corner. He's not looking for bi right. He's not looking for those guys. He's he's looking to score. He's looking to use his speed and, and things like that. And even off ball, like he's you know diving and, and you see him running around and always in motion and constant motion. And those are the kind of things that you know contribute to a healthy offense, right? You see. Him running around and 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 having a guy watch him, and then you have to communicate. Are we switching if he runs into the screen? And there's just a lot of decisions that have to make with all that kinetic energy uh, that Kyra brings. And you talked about it, his jump shot. We talk about all of these guys that are missing threes. Kyra is letting it loose, and it is it is mm-hmm. falling right now. Um, and he is shooting with a lot of confidence. We saw this back um in the G League and some of his G League stints where he he looked like he was like coming off the of screens, like I'm pulling this. I don't. I don't care what your defense has going on, but <laughs> this is in the air. And he was shooting with confidence and making them. Um, he and Sebron had a game where they were just – they looked like LeBron and Kyrie. They were just <laughs> letting it loose together. Um, but, no, I, I think that Kyrie is – is going to be the most important thing. Are we back? We're back. We're back. There we go. Oh, weird. Weird technical difficulties. (laughs) Okay, so... Uh, no, like I was saying, so yeah, so I think that Kyra is definitely making it hard to not play him, um, especially in times where the offense is lacking, and we see that a lot, um, you know, a lot mm-hmm. going on with the Pels lately, uh, but it's going to be difficult, man, because Jose, again, Jose made a, uh, a name for himself late in the, in the season last season when they needed him the most and in the playoffs against Chris Paul, and I think that he has really earned a lot of trust uh, from Willie Green and it's going to take a lot, you know, for that trust to, you know, obviously to go to Kyra um, instead of Jose. Uh, but right now, and, you know, we, we're seeing that at least, you know, he's making a, a point to where if you need an offensive jolt and Jose is not cutting it, you have to consider putting in Kyra in any situation, whether it be playing game or in a playoffs moving forward. Right. So, talk about shooting more threes we talk about actually hitting those threes so Willie green has made it a priority all season long saying hey we need to shoot more threes we need to shoot more threes well they haven't necessarily listened over the last 10 games <laughs> they're 28th and three points attempted 22nd and three point percentage i agree they should shoot more threes but it's how they shoot their threes like for example the warriors came back in the third quarter because they started raining threes well guess what the warriors do they shoot threes. Like, that's been their M.O. They have two of the greatest shooters to ever play NBA basketball of any kind on their team, right? And you got a Jordan Poole who wants to be like them. So you've got a bunch of guys who can shoot on that team. So it makes sense for them to play high speed and to take a lot of threes. The Pelicans, again, we talk about their youth and their struggles and, like, this being growing pains. Like, they think... Okay, well, if they're shooting threes, we need to shoot threes. And so a lot of times on fast break situations, 
it ends up as a transition three somehow when the Pelican <laughs> strength is not shooting threes. And so, like, I agree. I've always said that, hey, they should shoot more threes. But the quality of their threes makes so much sense because trying to play somebody else's game, that's with a personnel that doesn't match up that well, that's how you get beat. Like, if you don't have a three-point shooting team and everyone wants to pull up from threes, like, sometimes it feels forced. Like, hey, I should shoot this three just because I'm sort of open more so than what is the best shot. So what you saw in the Portland game, for example, came down, transition, they got the numbers. CJ has an open look. It's a good look, but Trey's in the corner for a great look. The ball always finds the shooter, right? Those are the type of threes that should happen, not the – Pass it around. There's an open lane, but I'm going to shoot it anyway just because I think I should shoot it more so than attacking the rim. Those are the ones that I think the Pelicans struggle with just because that's not their forte. And so the people that need to shoot more, unfortunately, B.I. has been quadrupled as we speak before tip-off. <laughs> CJ, again, likewise, when B.I. is off the court. And then you've got Trey, and unfortunately, you don't have that gra- gravitational machine called Zion to generate open looks for them. And so... For that, you need Trey to shoot more. You need CJ to take good open shots as well. I mean, Trey, what he's been doing over the last 12 games, we talked about that eight mark. Shoot about eight. Rather you make or miss, shoot him regardless because the defense has to honor you out there. Six of the last 12 games, he's hit at least eight. So he's trending in the right direction. But again, it's who's shooting the threes and when you're shooting the threes that are so important. You've seen Herb start to take it down on the dribble just a little bit to get closer to the rim because he hasn't been shooting well. Najee, you saw him start hit a couple of those rotation threes because he's been thinking a little bit once he catches the ball for the wide open ones. It's how they shoot the threes. Have you had any issues with how they've been playing offensive? I mean, obviously, but how they've been shooting the three (laughs) sometimes when it seems like they shouldn't? Yeah, yeah. I I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, three-point shots and – you know, three pointers, three, three pointers for the, the Pelicans should be open threes and, and ones like they should be, (laughs) they should be counted as the same thing because the Pelicans have a tremendous, even with the injuries, they have a lot of advantages down low because Brandon Ingram is an attacking wing who is six, nine and crazy athleticism. Um, you have Trey Murphy. You have a lot of like long, lengthy, athletic guys uh, who can get to the rim, and um, especially when you have JV out there who has a uh, seems to have a center, you know, mismatch on him every single game. Uh, not Jokic or Embiid, but uh, every other time he's like, okay, this guy can't guard JV. He's too small or whatever. But I, I just think that the the to your point, and you made a great point. The, the quality of threes for the Pelicans, right? We we saw last night, Jason Tatum took 17 threes last night. They were get him up by himself. <laughs> Obviously, you you don't you shouldn't be doing that, right? Obviously, I don't think Brandon Eagle should be shooting. There's nobody threes. in the roster that should be shooting, right? Threes. Right, but like the guys who are shooting, right? The guys who should be shooting, uh, when you talk about Trey Murphy, when you talk about Kyra, when you talk about um, you know, Brandon Ingram even doing some some uh, shooting from three. And CJ, like, those guys need to be taking better quality three-pointers. And f- especially a guy like Trey Murphy, we talk about that. I, I put it on Twitter. Some of the people that's ahead of him in three-point attempts, like, he should be shooting more threes. But I think what, what is happening is you're, 
you're now on a scouting report. Like it's not, you're not just, oh, and that guy, right? The fourth mm-hmm. starter or the fifth starter um, or the, the sixth man. Oh, you're the shooter on the team. Um, Larry Nance even called him the shooter on, on the team. Like we have one shooter. It's Trey Murphy. If Larry Nance knows that, so does everybody well, that's else. That's an issue in itself, um, but yes, you're correct. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, but I, I think that he has to find ways and the team has to find ways and Willie Green and, you know, and the offense has to find ways to get him open to take more threes to supplement some of these points that they are missing with Zion gone and everything. And so I, just, I think that's, that Trey Murphy should take more threes, but I think the other guys should should stop taking as many threes that you, you know, the step backs and the one dribble threes go to the rim, take some, <laughs> take some, take some, some contact, get to the free throw line and, you know, get in a bonus, get teams in a bonus. Um, if I trouble early that way that you can start, you know, playing from, if you want to, if they come in with small ball threes, you can start playing more in the way that you want to play, but just coming out bombing threes and taking the first semi open three for you know that in the early in the shot clock off of one pass and things like that i think those are, are to the detriment we see some like really bad shooting uh you know stats from the pels during this time and i just don't think pouring into it more uh by guys who should not be shooting threes i don't think that 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 does anything so trey murphy definitely should be taking more threes um and cj to take less of the step back one dribble threes and get to the lane more right I think all this boils down to like the Pelicans have opportunity down the stretch to either get the things that they set out for or severely, severely underachieve based off what they set out to do. So I think it all boils down to the Pelicans got to grow up and mature in a very quick time. Like it, it, that's just what it breaks down to. And like some of those things are, for example, like taking the ball out of the best player's hand. You saw what happened versus Dan. To your point, they put in Dyson. They put in Herb. They said, no matter what, Portland, you are not beat. We just saw you drop 71. There's no way Dame is going to walk us down time after time and time again and beat us in Portland. We need this win. They took the ball out of Dame's hand and made other people shoot. They won the game. So later, when you play versus Paulo, and it's him one-on-one, they decided to let Paulo get to his spots and he walked the Pelicans down. Then, versus the Warriors, you let Clay play one-on-one, and he decided to walk and beat the put the Pelicans away. So what did we learn? <laughs> like, you, t- when every time Brandon Ingram gets the ball, in the fourth quarter, third quarter, second, doesn't matter, in the game, he has multiple people looking at him. He has multiple people denying him the ball. There are no instances where they're just like, okay, B.I., you got it. You know the one instance it had? Bush Portland, he had 40 points, right? <laughs> so most teams are like, you know what? We are going to take the ball out of your hands. We're going to make someone else beat you. I understand other guys hit shots early in the game, guys you don't expect. But are they going to do it all game long? Are they going to do it in the clutch? That's what you have to live with in the NBA. And so the Pelicans have struggled to do this, not just this year, but multiple years in the past, and it comes down to their youth. It comes down to not, not playing enough. Right, like what the old people say, like you just ain't seen enough, right? But that's mm-hmm. basic basketball. So you sh- you shown the fans that you're capable of doing it, 
Now you've got to do it in every situation. It's got to be a nightly basis. Herb is a great defender. He's going to be on all defensive team multiple times throughout the career. But in today's NBA, you can't let stars go one-on-one. It doesn't matter who you have on defense. You have got to live with other people beating you. Are there any other things that you point at like, hey, if the Pelicans want to turn this around, here are some of the things that they got to start doing. Uh, yeah, I think you said it eloquently. I think, you know, just helping on, on defense um, in late game situations. But uh, another thing, just get JV more involved on the offensive end when he has a matchup. Uh, I think, you know, we've been beating this drum for a while. But as long as Zion is out, uh, he's your main uh, source of mismatch in the post. Uh, get him involved because I think not only does it affect, uh, you know, by not taking advantage of that, um, you're probably taking a worse shot than a JV at the rim with, you know, uh, one of these centers that can't guard him uh, because they're too small or whatever the case is. Uh, but you also take him out, out of the game defensively because he's pouting and, you know, not pouting, but still, you know, not not feeling the same. And and I just think that it, it hurts you by not taking advantage of the thing that he does well because he's going to get attacked on the defensive end. And we saw, you know, the way Jackson has been getting up and down the floor and, and things like that and how much pop the offense has with he and Kyra and Dyson kind of being injected into the game. And um, I just want, you know, whenever he does come back, when JV does come back for them to attack, you know, let him use his, his strength um, to attack the paint and play out that way. Because I think that if he doesn't, he's going to get played off the floor and he's going to, you're going to look up at the scoreboard and wonder what was the impact, right? What was the contribution that he had? Um, you know, and it's not, it's partly because they won't give him the ball, but partly because, you know, he gets played off the floor on the defensive end. So I think to your point, playing defense, um, not allowing the best player to beat you all the time. And then also playing through JV, if they want to make some kind of run, they have to establish a def- uh, a offensive identity, which is back to being a smash route basketball team in the paint. And then on the defensive end, not allowing the team, uh, best player to just beat you every single game. Right. With that being said, everything is still right in front of you. So you got a huge, this is a huge, this starts off like a stretch of like 10 to 12 games where you got a lot of opportunity. And if you don't get it here, it ain't looking good down the stretch. So you start tonight versus Sacramento. I see somebody in the comments saying no D-Fox tonight. That's huge. You know what happened last time the Pelicans played versus the Kings without De'Aaron Fox. They're seven and three in their last 10. They won five in a row before they lost to Minnesota. What are your thoughts on the matchup tonight versus the Kings? Brandon Ingram has to be the best player on the floor. And it, and it can't be, you know, it can't be close, right? He has to be the guy where you're saying, okay, this is this is the best player on both teams um, out there. He can't let Sabonis, uh, you know, his impact be more of an impact than Brandon Ingram. And when I say better, I don't just mean scoring. I mean in all facets of the game, defense, uh, getting people involved, rebounding like he has been uh, lately. I think when you see him affect the game in more ways than just scoring, the Pels look like a totally different team. Um, and I think that he needs to do that this uh, this game. No D Fox means, um, you know, that D, uh, Damian Mitchell is going to take over. Uh, Davion Mitchell is going to take over. He's not the same threat, obviously, but it means that a lot of other guys are going to get opportunities. Malik Monk had a ridiculous game against the Clippers. Um, so he could get hot and score in bunches. So you want to make sure that you're keeping him uh, bottled up and giving him come, kind of that same respect that you would give De'Aaron Fox because you don't want him to get going and get, you know, get his um, his flammability going as well. So uh, Brandon Ingram being the best player, keeping Fox, uh, keeping uh, Malik Monk 
kind of in check. I think that that's going to be the important thing because I don't think Sabonis can beat you by himself, but he ends in, uh, you know, getting contributions from a guy like Malik Mokan. Yeah, it's a it's a big matchup, you know. JV's going against his Lithuanian teammate, so you know he's going to be you know revved up to play against him and really show out versus him as well. Then you got Luca and Kyrie on Wednesday. Now they haven't been playing great together because that team, man, that Suns versus Dallas game was incredible, but there was no defense being played, like <laughs> none at all on either side. What are your thoughts on that? That's that's a tough matchup, but it's at home. And it's the one first one at home after a while. Yeah, yeah. I think you know the Smoothie King Center is gonna be a, a welcome site for, for the guys. Um, you're gonna have to play obviously 48 minutes of high energy, high intensity, high IQ uh defense on them. But again, you're gonna be able to score against them. And I think the Pels uh, need to take advantage of that as well. Um, and, and kind of make sure that they are not letting Luca and Kyrie go on these 10-0 runs and things like that. Um, this is another game where JV should be able to, to take advantage of his size as well. So should, that should be a really good game. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited to, to get into the Smoothie King Center and see that one. Yep, that one on ESPN. Then you've got a Thunder team that, again, they're 4-6 and six in their last 10, but Shea's back, Shea's cooking, doing exactly what we do before. The Pelicans have won every matchup up until this point even without Brandon Ingram, even without Zion. So what are your thoughts on that game versus the Thunder? Yeah, it, you know, Shea is, Shea is the anti-tank on the, the OKC Thunder <laughs> who might be trying to tank. Um, he is the one that, that carries them. But I think the Pels have a good a good beat on OKC. And I think, you know, if they can get that Dallas game, that they'll start to kind of feel themselves, like feel a, a sense of confidence in things going forward. Um, or even if they at least play well in that game and, and keep it competitive uh, towards the end. And I think that their goals of trying to get where they're going and OKC's goal of trying to get where <laughs> they're going will meet in an intersect, and I think the Pels will get that one. I hear you. And then the last game of the week uh, on a back-to-back, again, the last three at home at least, is versus the Blazers again. You got Dame again. Again, no Simons probably, but what do you think? You want to make sure you're doing the same thing you did against him? The last game, when it gets close, do not let him beat you by his, uh, by yourself. Make Nasir Little take shots. Make Trendon Wofford take shots. Uh, make Eubanks take shots and all of those guys. Um, that's not Damian Lillard. Make him trust his teammates more. Um, and I think, you know, the Pels have a, a great shot at, at doing something this week. Um, they just they have to com- commit to the defensive end, like you say, commit to rebounding and commit to not letting some of these best players beat them and just go one-on-one uh, every time in the fourth quarter. Right, so game's about to tip off probably in a couple minutes. What you got left for the people, Garrett? As always, you never know what people are going through, so give somebody a smile today. Uh, appreciate you guys rocking with us and, and giving us that week to kind of get ourselves together, both professionally and personally. Uh, just was a hectic week, so thank you so much. We'll be back on our regular schedule. Um, as always, follow me at Garrick underscore Rattler. Follow my brother at Raphael underscore Rattler. Follow us on Twitter at Pels Pod and on Instagram at Pels Podcast. And, of course, most importantly, subscribe to New Orleans.network. We'll see you guys next week.